Imagine that you're with someone when they receive God's gift of salvation. How will you explain to them what has taken place? What will you encourage them to do next? In this episode, Carla discusses the results of salvation and potential next steps of obedience for a new believer. As we live each day anticipating opportunities to share the gospel, we should also anticipate that some people will respond to the gospel by accepting God's gift of grace while we're with them. Then what do we do? Well, we know that the enemy isn't pleased when a person is saved, and sometimes he works particularly hard to attack new believers. For this reason, it's valuable to give a new believer some promises of God to stand on. For example, 1 John 4, 13-16 provides assurance of salvation and confidence in Christ. It says, We know that we live in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in Him and He in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. In Romans 8, 38 and 39, Paul wrote, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What an amazing and encouraging promise for believers to know that absolutely nothing can separate them from God's love. I sometimes explain to a new believer that the relationship they now have in Christ Jesus is totally dependent on God's truth, because there may be days when they feel insecure about the relationship with Him. They may question or even doubt their salvation. And even though these thoughts and feelings will seem very real, they will fail to reflect God's truth. God wants us to become proactive in dealing with temptations such as these by saturating our minds with God's word and finding our purpose and identity in Him. Are you recognizing the value and significance of personally discipling a new believer? Imagine, from the day a believer receives Christ, they have someone teaching them how to study God's word and demonstrating ways to trust in His promises showing and telling them what it looks like to grow in their relationship with the Lord through reliance on His Spirit. Please don't misunderstand. These tools may also be gained through church Bible studies. However, even though a person may grow in their knowledge and understanding of Scripture through Bible study, it's often challenging for them to understand what it looks like to put each truth they're learning into practice in their own daily lives. Consider for a moment the example Jesus set for us in Scripture. He proclaimed the truth of God wherever he went, including to individuals and small and large groups of people. Yet he also discipled individuals, meeting with them personally to show them what it looks like to walk in his truth in very practical ways in their daily lives. Think about this. A coach makes an announcement to the entire school population, inviting anyone who would like to play co-ed intramural baseball to an informal meeting. During the meeting, He explains the criteria for accepting the invitation to be on the team, and some students join. The coach then starts having regular practices while he instructs them in the skills of the game and allows them time to practice each skill. Keep in mind, 
There is only one coach and many players, each with different skill sets, levels of playing experience, personalities, and learning styles. Now, imagine the coach inviting some of his past players back to help train these new players. The coach still conducts regular practices, but between practices, the experienced players begin meeting individually with the new players. They are each taught ball handling skills, yet these skills look different for a catcher than they do for a shortstop. Throwing skills look different for a pitcher than they do for an outfielder. Through individual training, each player becomes increasingly comfortable and confident as a member of the team and within their role on the team. So much so that the newly trained players, over time, begin to train other players as they join the team. This analogy parallels discipleship. Consider your own salvation experience. As new believers, we each came from unique backgrounds and life experiences, and we each learn through ways that reflect our personal learning style, temperament, and personality. We grow as we apply the truth of God's Word to our individual circumstances. Think for a moment. How helpful has it been, or would it have been, for you to have someone spend individual time with you as a new Christian? to actually show you what it looks like to take the words from the pages of the Bible and apply them in your personal circumstance, or how to live for Jesus day in and day out amidst peer pressure on your school campus, or how to be a godly parent to a strong-willed child, or train you in practical ways to stand on biblical principles in your workplace. At this point, you may be wondering, what does any of this have to do with the topic of this episode, The Results of Salvation? Please let me explain. Too often, I meet professed believers who've become faithful in church attendance, small group Bible study, and even serving in their local church, yet they fail to experience victory in their daily life. Please don't miss this. Jesus intended the personal experience of victory in daily living to be the greatest result of salvation. Each believer will experience victory in life as they learn to put into practice God's instructions through moment-by-moment obedience. We know that we can't make people obey God's commands, but the Great Commission does transfer responsibility to each disciple to teach others to obey everything God commands. So that means when we're with someone who accepts the gospel, we should not only help them consider their next steps, we should also be considering ours as well. Next steps are often revealed as we discuss with new believers the results of their salvation. For example, it can be beneficial for a new believer to have a general understanding of God's plan for discipleship found in Matthew 28, 18-20. We're becoming increasingly familiar with this passage, aren't we? It's where Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. We should help new believers understand that salvation is not the end goal in having a relationship with Jesus. It is merely the beginning. In order to develop a deeper, more intimate relationship with Jesus, he tells us to learn through discipleship, to walk in obedience to his commands. I'm not suggesting in any way that you initially talk with a new believer about all the subjects covered in this episode. 
I'm merely equipping you to be prepared to discuss various topics concerning the results of a person's salvation and encouraging you to follow the Lord's lead. I am suggesting, however, to initially discuss discipleship because new believers don't often know what it means to be personally discipled or how to begin. After discussing discipleship, ask the Lord to show you if you are the one to disciple this new believer. If not, prayerfully assist them in the process of finding a spiritual mentor for them. Then follow through in a timely way. Some of the other subjects you might discuss with new believers may be in response to the questions they're asking or the emotions they're feeling. If you're with someone when they get saved, they may or may not experience or even recognize any immediate difference in their life. Regardless, it can be beneficial to begin explaining to new believers some of the changes that have indeed taken place. For example, you might explain, using scripture, what has taken place spiritually within their physical body. Ephesians 1, 13-14 says, You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. What an amazing truth to learn that the Spirit of the living God resides within each believer. 1 Corinthians 6.19 is another verse that confirms this point. It says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God? Then 1 Corinthians 6.20 goes on to say this, You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. In helping a new believer understand their great worth to the kingdom of God, I sometimes refer to this verse and ask them if they know how to determine the value of a house. I explain that no matter what price a person is asking for a house, The actual value is determined by whatever someone is willing to pay for it. I then explain that their life is of great worth to God because the price Jesus paid to redeem them. It's often assuring to new believers to understand that even though they've been saved, learning to walk in faithful obedience with Jesus is a process. In other words, surrendering to Jesus isn't a one-time event. In the same way that a person responds to Jesus' invitation— by beginning to follow Him. He wants them to continue to follow Him each and every day of their lives. As a result of salvation, the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit will enable them in every way to do so. Sometimes I find a new believer to be content to slowly ease their way into a growing relationship with Jesus, while others are zealous to quickly develop a deeper relationship with Him. And of course, there's everything in between. I find that those who are more zealous ask me lots of questions and want me to give them Bible verses that will be of immediate help to them. I say this because on one hand, we know that developing a deep abiding relationship with the Lord takes time. Yet it's also important to try to satisfy the spiritual hunger of a new believer with God's Word. With that in mind, I'm going to give you some additional scriptures concerning the results of salvation. You may not always share these verses with new believers, but at least you'll have them in case the Lord leads you to do so. 1 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. 
It's important to communicate that God's salvation provides us with a new nature, enabling us to be transformed to God's image through the powerful work of His Spirit. When a person is united with Christ through salvation, they receive the fullness of Him. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 confirms this. It says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given the fullness of Christ. It's important for new believers to understand that God never sets His disciples up to fail. He asks us to learn to obey all His commands and gives us full access to His powerful nature to enable us to experience victory in all things. Now look with me at 2 Peter 1, 3-4. It says, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in His divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. How encouraging it is for a new believer to realize that they have been equipped with everything they need for life and godliness, so they can live in full reliance on Christ and escape the corruption in the world. You can explain the process this way. The things found in Christ are eternal, but the things of the world are temporal, resulting in corruption and decay. Verse 4 tells us that the cause of corruption is evil desires. Since people may not consider their desires to be evil, you may want to take time to consider other words that can be used in the place of the word evil. For example, a synonym for evil is sin, and selfishness is sinful because it opposes God. So you can say that sin and selfishness could also be considered evil. Holy God wants His children to escape the world's corruption that is caused by evil, selfish desires. Following this line of thinking, a good question to ask would be this. Where do you think desire originates? Although desire can be stimulated by something external, the root of desire is internal. By equipping each believer with the indwelling Holy Spirit, God can control desires at their place of origin, the inside of each heart. Since the Holy Spirit is continually available to us and unlimited in every way, we have immediate access to the power needed to withstand the world's temptations. However, the choice of whether or not to surrender to the Spirit's authority, allowing Him permission to do so, is ours. So picture this. As a result of salvation, a new believer has everything necessary for life and godliness. And while God has created change within the believer's heart, He also wants to create change in their daily life by conforming them to His will. But this transformation is a process that doesn't occur overnight. We can help new believers get a glimpse of this process to help them to see the direction they're heading and the potential next steps in the process. In order to do so, I typically begin by using 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It says, May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I encourage you to slow down and unpack this verse when using it with new believers. First of all, this verse tells us that God wants us to be sanctified through and through. In other words, God wants to perform a thorough, transforming work in our lives, not merely a shallow work or a quick fix. 
Then notice the next phrase in verse 23 concerning God's transforming work. It begins with the word may, which indicates that it's an option. The Holy Spirit wants to transform our lives to reflect Him, yet He's a gentleman. He will not impose His will on us, but will allow us to have our own way. Let's read 1 Thessalonians 5.23 again. May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is talking about our entire being becoming transformed to look increasingly more like Jesus. When we got saved, we became new creatures in Christ Jesus by His indwelling eternal spirit. But we didn't get a new body. God didn't replace our emotions, our intellect, or our will in which to make decisions. Each one of these parts of our lives must learn to yield to the complete control of God's Spirit, allowing His will to override our own. You can also explain the truths you've just learned in a different way. As a result of salvation, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. It's as if God deposited within us all we would ever need to accomplish His will. We then just need to learn how to continually withdraw on His deposit. Paul explains this principle in Philippians 2, 12-13. He says this, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. Paul urged fellow believers here to continue to respond in obedience to Jesus, out of reverence for Him. He then reminded them that such work is only achieved through the empowering, the enabling of the Holy Spirit. We can encourage new believers, just like Paul did, to rely on the Holy Spirit to enable them to develop greater obedience in their lives. No matter how enthusiastic a new believer is in growing in their relationship with Jesus, it's important for them to recognize that the thorough, transforming work God desires to do in their life is a process. It's a process of learning to strive less in our own strength while increasingly yielding to the Holy Spirit at work within us. Simply put, we're to strive less and yield more. You can assure new believers that as they persist moment by moment in the process of discipleship, they will experience progress in the process. There is no greater rejoicing than when a lost sinner has received the saving grace of Jesus Christ. It is our prayer that you embrace your role in sharing the gospel with others and assist new believers in understanding the results of salvation. You can then help them move from understanding the results of their salvation to how to walk in daily obedience to Jesus. The Bible teaches us that the first step of obedience for a new believer is to be baptized in water. With that in mind, plan to join us for the next episode in the series entitled Baptism.